Welcome to the How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast, where we learn how to survive horror movies and maybe how to survive life. I'm your host, Ryan Stacy, and today we're going to be looking at another sequel, Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981. You're all doomed. You're all doomed. This movie is okay. (laughs) It's K. (laughs) And I am joined this week by a brand new guest who's not been on the show before. My very good friend from film school, Jordan Ryan. Hi. Jordan, how are you? Oh, not too bad. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm great. I'm really happy you're on the show. Well, it's nice to have a guest who knows a little bit what they're talking about. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so that's that's awesome. Uh, it's great to have you here. Glad you could make it. And the reason why I picked you here to be on this one is because Friday the 13th 2 is your favorite film in that series. In that series. Yeah. Um, I Of the big four, I would say Friday is my least favorite I'm with of you. them. Of that one, Friday Part 2 is my favorite. I Everyone seems to like the movies where Jason's the unstoppable force. I like this one, where he's the predator, where it's realistic, where this could actually be a psychotic dude in the woods. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. I like that aspect of it. But it's okay. Out of if I had to rank the twelve, I would put it at seventh best. Fair enough. It's it's okay. Um, but it, yeah, out of the big four, it's definitely my least yeah. favorite as well. No, and I mean, don't get that wrong. This is definitely not high cinema. Here. No, <laughs> not at all. It's it's entertaining enough, and there's some cool kills, a decent protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> That's really all you can ask for, I guess. So, Jordan, you're you're a, a big horror fan, correct? I am, actually. That's good. I have been watching horror movies since I was about 13, 14 years old. Um, it's how I spent most of my time in those years, just sitting in my basement, watching them on my old school TV, VCR in hand. There you go. So, I've I've had a bit of an education on horror movies. I actually wrote a... The, I'm sure you remember for our thesis, I wrote a paper on all... All of the Nightmare Elm, on Elm Street movies. Yeah, I remember because you stole my idea. Okay, okay, you didn't steal my idea, but I thought about doing that. You claimed it first. Uh-huh. So I did mine on all the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> I'm sure you had much more fun. I definitely did. <laughs> oh, yeah, we took a horror movie class in college, and it was the best class ever. The actual best. Yes. What this podcast is, for those of you who don't know, is, and I don't know why you'd be listening to this one if you haven't listened to the first Friday the 13th podcast, <laughs> but we are trying to create a master list of rules on how to survive horror movies. So you can check out the current list on my Twitter account, at HowToHorror, that's how the number two horror, and we have the current list of rules with some fun gifts that I added. Check that out, read them, because there's too many rules to list right now, and we're going to go through the plot of this movie and see if there's any new rules we need to add. I doubt it, but maybe. So it kind of goes without saying, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to spoil the entire plot of this movie. There's not much to spoil. No. I mean, it's... This is a pretty plot-light movie, honestly. If you want to watch it, go ahead. If you don't want to, don't bother. It's fine. It's <laughs> it's it's okay. But it's exactly what you expect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I think that about covers it, so let's get into Friday the 13th, part two. The movie begins in an unknown town at night where we have a kid walking up the streets, and someone else is walking the streets. Spoiler alert, it's Jason Voorhees. He's he's the killer. It's a big reveal, kind of, but it's... It's it's kind of a reveal. We all knew it. It's Jason. Yeah. So he's walking down the street, and we cut inside a house, and we meet our protagonist from the previous film, Alice. 
who is still alive, at home sleeping, having nightmares about the first movie. Cue very extended flashback sequence, completely reliving the events of the third act of the first movie. You know, it's funny. Without that, this movie would barely be an hour long. (laughs) (laughs) It's really long. They spend so much time just retreading how Alice killed Mrs. Voorhees in the first movie. (laughs) You gotta put something in the movie. That's accurate. I mean, it's it's good. uh, It's kind of good backstory for anyone who might have missed the first one i don't know why you'd watch part two if you didn't watch part one but well yeah if you got dragged to the theater to go see part two back in the 80s and you just happen to see the first one this will get you up to speed exactly got all the important stuff right here alice wakes up because she gets a phone call from her mom she's been living on her own trying to put her life back together she takes a shower and the phone rings again and she goes to pick it up and the line goes dead (gasps) spooky now these days i would just assume it was like I don't know. I, I don't I don't think anything if I pick up the phone and nobody answers. You know, I don't think anyone who hasn't gone through what Alice went through in the first movie would think anything of it. I think that's the only reason she gets spooked here. Yeah, and she gets spooked because she realizes she's in a horror movie, and there's no reason to realize she's in a horror movie. Well, and honestly, I think she's realized she's living a horror movie since the end of Friday Part 1. Yeah. I don't think she ever left that state of mind. Because rule number one on surviving a horror movie is you got to realize you're in one. And then you can make steps from there to survive. And Alice, this, this puts her on edge enough where she starts making moves. She makes more moves in this 10, 15 minute opening than she did in the entire first one, I think. Yeah. Yep. She makes more good moves at the very least. <laughs> so she immediately goes, locks her door, takes a quick peek outside, which is fine. I'm always a proponent of checking outside. There's a glass window. As, l- as long as you're inside the shelter, it's okay to look out. Yep. I'm a huge proponent of that. She goes into the kitchen because she hears a weird noise coming from the kitchen, and she grabs an ice pick on the way. That's right away. Right away. First thing she notices that could be weaponized, she grabs it, which yep. is the smartest move in this whole movie. Rule number five, lock and load. She does this immediately. She slowly approaches the window. She's ready. She thinks there's somebody outside. Cat jumps in the window. Goddamn cat ruins everything. <laughs> so she recognizes, oh, maybe this is just my PTSD. It was just a cat. It's fine. <sighs> It's bad luck. It's strictly bad luck. Yeah, because she opens the door to the fridge, and there's Mrs. Voorhees' head, which actually is a nice kind of uh, reveal from we heard earlier when she was kind of preparing herself. We heard something tumble in the kitchen, which is what brought her there in the first place. Mm -hmm. So a nice kind of payoff there. Absolutely. So this is when you anybody should realize that in a horror movie. A decapitated, decaying head. Yes. Unless you regularly keep those in your fridge, this is a problem. (laughs) <laughs> and then of course it's followed up immediately by her getting grabbed by jason she and screams gets a nice pick in the head exactly <sighs> this 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 sucks it was just bad luck that this cat was around because she was on her a game she was ready for this and just because the cat returned and she knows she has ptsd she lowers her guard jason kills her it, it she didn't do anything wrong she made zero mistakes in this movie we cannot hold anything against her everything is fair but that's the end of Alice. No Sad mistakes day. for Alice. Sad day. She's way more likable in 15 minutes, not even, of this movie than she is at all in the first movie. Well, I felt I actually felt bad for her in this movie. Yeah, for, for real. So we get our title card, made credits, and then we meet some of our new characters. We have Jeff, who's just not Kevin Bacon. <laughs> he, he looks exactly like Kevin Bacon, but isn't Kevin Bacon. 
And his girlfriend, Sandra, who is underage, and it's weird that she's in this movie. There's a lot of awkwardness in this movie because of her being underage. And the, we're talking about the actress, not the character. Yes, yes. So they're in a truck, and they arrive in the town. Is the town called Crystal Lake? No, I don't remember what the town's called, but it's not called Crystal Lake. Okay. Well, they arrive in the nearby town. Um, they stop to make a phone call to get directions to the actual camp. They are here to attend a camp training center, so a camp for camp counselors. Which just happens to be on the lake. <laughs> yep, it's on the same lake at Camp Crystal Lake from the first movie is. But not the same camp. They it's make a very good point. Down the shore a little bit. To point out that it's not Camp Blood, as they call it. Yep, but it's only a hop, skip, and a jump away. Exactly, as we find out. They, they're calling their friend Ted, who's also working at the camp. He's one of the supervisors. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to make Ted a supervisor, but what do you do? And then we see an old friend, Crazy Ralph, from the first movie shows up. And he was the guy who kind of warned our characters in the first movie, like, yo, you're all doomed. And he does the same thing here. But he's so much less specific. In the previous movie, he's like, <laughs> yeah, don't go to the camp. It's got a death curse. You're all doomed. He goes up to Jeff and Sandra's like, you're doomed, and walks away. I told the others. They didn't listen. You're all doomed. You're all doomed. So, in the first movie, I was critical of some of those characters. You had a crazy person around town who showed up at the camp and saying, yo, this place is cursed. Be scared of him, but also be like, oh, you know, that's kind of creepy. Well, this time Ralph doesn't, he's not specific at all. He no. could just be drunk. Jeff and Sandra's like, okay, whatever. There's no reason to be on your guard from this once he walks away. See, that's the thing. If we were just walking downtown and a homeless guy came up to me and said, I'm doomed, I would think nothing of it. Yeah, I would keep my eye on him to make sure he walked away from me. Yeah. And once he's gone, I'm good. Exactly. And so nothing against Jeff or Sandra here. Nope. Nothing Nothing they could do with any information because they didn't get any information. Exactly. Anyway, they call out Ted and they're getting directions. And then they see their truck getting towed. <laughs> this is actually really funny. Uh, they try and stop it, but eventually they realize it's just a prank by Ted who's around the corner. He paid off the, the tow truck driver to yeah, tow the truck. Yeah, he owns the gas station, I think Ted explains right away. Like, oh, is this like the gas station owner? Yeah. Who has like, a tow truck? He's my buddy. Uh, it was just a prank. <laughs> This is actually a pretty good intro for Ted, who's kind of not important at all. No, he just disappears right before Act 3. Yeah, he's like one of the more developed characters, and he's just gone out of the movie. Seriously, I, I like to think he got a, a happy ending with that bartender. Yeah, we'll, yeah, true love. We'll get to that later, though. <laughs> so they all get in the car, and they're, they go to camp. Uh, they see a log in the road, which that's weird. But I would kind of just think that's a prank, I think. You know? Either a prank or just really bad luck. Because, I mean, it is a back road. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there's dead trees surrounding that road. So there's no reason to think anything suspect right there. If I ran across this and I'm with a group, you know, I'd have, like, two of us going to move it. You just look out. Just just keep yeah. an eye out. And they don't really do that. Sandra just kind of wanders off. Yeah. And it turns out Jason is nearby. So they probably should have had a little bit more vigilance. Which is rule number two, constant vigilance. You know, because this is just a little bit off. And just in case, just have somebody be lookout. Right. But Sandra ends up finding a sign for Camp Crystal Lake. And she and Jeff don't know what this is. But Ted does know the story of Camp Blood, Mrs. Voorhees' rampage. Uh, he knows the story, but he does not tell Sandra and Jeff here. So, In fact, he almost kind of gets spooked by this sign and wants them to get as far away from it as possible. Yeah. So Ted should know, like... Yo, this place has got shit, a history. Jeff and Sandra, again, we can't hold anything against them here. No. But again, we'll, we'll get into more, this more later when we get to the campfire story. But all this is just basically ghosts at this point. Like, there's there's no reason to be, like, super spooked about it. No, anything. this is just superstition, a uh, folktale almost. 
Yeah. So Jason watches them drive away, and they, we get to camp, and we meet the camp leader, a guy named Paul, who's generic Paul. <laughs> uh, there's nothing else. To, he's the leader of the camp. I got nothing else. So the counselors assemble, and we meet uh, some of the other characters. We have uh, Mark, who's kind of a jock, but he got paralyzed in an accident, so his legs don't work. He's in a wheelchair. We have Vicky, who has the major hots for him. And then we have Terry, who jogs. She also has a dog with her named Muffin. And then we have Scott, who's kind of a prankster, and he's got a crush on Terry, and he shoots a slingshot he, He's also her. just generally creepy is the thing. Yeah, he like, sucks. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a pervy prankster kind of guy. Yeah. Luckily, he's not in that much of the movie. He's in no. way less than I remember. He's kind of in and out. So then we see Ralph biking up the road. So he's heading to camp now for some reason. Yeah, right. he sees... Uh... He sees Ginny's car pull in yep. and just decides to wander this part of the camp, knowing full well that it's cursed. Yeah, so we don't see him again until nighttime, and we'll have some things to say about Ralph. Exactly. So we meet our main protagonist and final girl, Ginny. Ginny is a child psychology major. And As they explain. Yes. Twice. <laughs> it's fine. It, at least it adds something of interest to her character. That's accurate. So Ginny arrives at camp, and we establish that her car is kind of a piece of shit. She's one of the supervisors as well, along with Paul and Ted, and... Paul, like, kind of takes Ginny aside into a cab, and, and he's kind of annoyed that she's late. But they're also dating, which they shouldn't be doing, because he's the, the head of the camp. And, but they are dating. So she gets away with it. Yeah, it's fine. Nepotism at its finest. Yep. <laughs> so we cut to that night, and Campfire and S'mores, and Paul tells the, sor- the story of Jason Voorhees, Camp Blood. Uh, the legend that, you know, Jason's body was never found years and years ago when he drowned as a kid. The legend says he's still living out in these woods watching and he saw his mother get decapitated that night and then the girl who decapitated the mother disappeared never seen again yeah two months after the events of the first movie yep and so this i think they said this is five this is five years but then yeah they said that the beginning is only two months i guess yep so So. kind of a kind of a time skip without really meaning to yeah so i guess it would be 1985 i think so yeah huh Oh, we also established the phones aren't working at camp. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Paul hasn't hooked him up yet or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and that's why Jenny couldn't call and tell she was running late. Exactly. So I, I like that that's in there. It's like, okay, that's why they can't call. Phones yeah. don't work. Good enough. You know, establish these things, and I'll be okay with it. But so Paul's telling this creepy story, and Ted jumps out and scares everybody. It's a it's a fun scene, I think. Yeah. It's it's good a nice... monologue by Paul. Exactly. Good, good monologue from Paul, and then it's not even really that scary, but it's fun to see... Ted in the mask with the spear, which yeah. comes into play later, of yeah, course. Yeah, the spear will get used as a weapon, which is pretty cool. Uh, but he does mention Camp Crystal Lake, the, the old ruins. They are off limits. Don't go over there. Yep, and it, I like, too, they try, that he's doing this to try and get their minds off of it. Like, yeah. he tells the story and then immediately shuts it down as superstition. We're here to learn. Let's yeah. do some learning. But so good good move from Paul there. It, it's like to get the trouble out of your system. Yep. When I worked for Warner Brothers, my very first like couple of days during training, they took us all on a tour of the lot and showed us like the really cool exhibits and uh, museums they have on the lot. Just so we wouldn't go sneak off from our post to go see it on our downtime. It makes sense. They're just like, here it is. This is awesome. Take photos. Do whatever you want. Great. Let's go back to training. Don't sneak off from your posts. So it's the same kind of mentality. It's just like, yeah, yeah. we'll just get this out of your system because we know this is what you're curious about. Exactly. So Jason's outside watching everybody uh, in the main uh, cabin. Mark is an arm wrestler. Scott's hitting on Terry. The dog does see Jason. Yeah. But it doesn't really do anything about it. No. And then Ginny beats Paul at chest and decides to go to bed. And she leaves and goes to her cabin. Sandra mentions to Jeff that she wants to go out to Camp Blood. Jeff's like, no, let's not do that. 
that's a terrible idea. Sandra's like, I really want to go. Pro tip, don't go exploring old abandoned places where multiple murders happen. Just, you're tempting fate. Exactly. No, that that might be the dumbest decision in the movie. It's pretty bad. Like, I get the curiosity, but just don't do it. No. Don't do it. Uh, so Ginny's in her cabin. Ralph is outside watching now. And there's a knock on the door. Ginny goes and answer. Nobody's there. And Paula somehow snuck into her cabin from behind. And then they go bang. Interesting note, because it's implied they have sex in the movie, and that's like this big rule. You can't have sex in movies. Ginny has sex with Paul. Ginny lives. And I guess it, it's kind of implied that Paul does, too. It's, it's questionable whether Paul yeah. lives or not. It's, yeah. un, it's unknown. Like, I've done research. Nobody knows if Paul lives or not. Fair enough. Biggest mystery in Friday the 13th. <laughs> Apart from the fact, uh, other than how did Jason goes to hell get made. So, I guess Paul is the second biggest mystery. So, Ralph is watching them, and he hears a noise behind him, and he turns around... But Jason's somehow in the tree above him, and like a garotes, garotes. Uh, I think it's garot. Garot, garots him from behind and like kills Ralph. Yeah, he strangles him, and the 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 wire that he uses we see also cuts into the neck. Yeah. So he's he's bleeding and he's choking. And it's terrible. Uh, this is not the coolest death in the movie, but it's my favorite because I hate Ralph. Yeah, Ralph sucks. He does. He was creepy the entire first movie, and he's just pointlessly dumb in this movie. So, very satisfying to watch him just get offed right away. Yeah, so let's talk about Ralph, because he, he knows he's in a horror movie. He's he's known he's in a horror movie probably since Jason Drowned, because yeah. they've, given, they've given him this kind of sage complex in the town where he knows everything about the camp. So, it's the dumbest move in probably the franchise for him to actively go into this camp. In the previous movie, he went into the camp to warn everybody. Right. Fine. Okay, if you want to do that, that's great. Uh, I, I'm sure we appreciate it, even though you sound like a crazy person. If you're going to do that this time, warn everybody. Don't hang out all day and into the night and watch and spy on people. Don't be a creep. Well, and on top of that, he warned everyone in the last movie, and then everyone who was in there ended up dead anyway. Yep. Any sensible person wouldn't care. They'd just be oh, people are still going to this camp. Okay, I'm done. I need to protect myself at some point. Yeah. Even if we give we give Ralph some credit, like good intentions, he totally screws this up. Exactly. He spends Warn them. He he spends the entire day just wandering, doing nothing, and then he dies being a perv watching Ginny and Paul have sex. If I'm going to that camp to warn people, I'm in and out. Yeah. I'm like quick. And I shouldn't, you know, don't go there in the first place, but if you're gonna do it. Well, that's what I thought was gonna happen the first time I watched this movie, because we they make a point to show him confused as to why Ginny's car's going in. Yep. So I thought that first time we see the assembly, he was going to go freak all of them out. Yeah, makes way more sense. I would have liked it better had he been on his way in and Jason snags him on his way into camp. That would have been a better kill. I mean, it would have been would have been in the middle of the day, but that... That would have been cool. It would have been a cool kill. It would have made more sense with Ralph's character. Absolutely. This doesn't make sense, Ralph. I mean, yeah, you're a crazy person, but one, constant vigilance. Don't be spying on people macking in a cabin. <laughs> um, two, learn from past events. Don't go into these... Gavins, just don't go out here. No, you know you're in a horror movie. Stay away. If yep. people still go in after you've warned them in town, you are not responsible. And then uh, a new rule from uh, last time I know you did last summer. Rule 28. Run, bitch, run! <laughs> what would have been your last words to Drew? Run, bitch, run! <laughs> now, this doesn't necessarily apply to running, but it's when you have a purpose and you're going through a dangerous area, move your ass with a purpose, people. Ralph should have gotten in and out of there, done his warning, and moved on. Spends all day hanging around. So a couple of rule violations for Ralph. Not great. Not at all. Rotten hell. Yep. So the next day, Ginny's in her bed, 
and Paul has written, beware of bears on her mirror. Which, Paul makes this whole point about, you know, being cautious of bears in the woods and not wearing perfume and beware of the bears on Ginny's mirror. That never comes into play. Nope. Like, never, not once do we even see a stuffed bear head or any type of indication that Jason would be imitating a bear to stay hidden. Pointless part of this movie. It is. It's good advice. It is. Beware of bears. I would say that's good advice if you're not in a horror movie. Beware of bears. Know your environment. We're sitting in a kitchen and I'm being aware of bears right now. There's horror (laughs) movies out there where bears are the killers. You know, (laughs) beware of bears. Later we see Jason watching the the woods as the group goes on a hike. Ginny is looking around, you know, constant vigilance. Ginny makes eye contact with the implied POV of Jason. Yeah. And that bugs me. It bugs me, because this happens a couple of times in this movie with a couple of characters. Yeah. But keeping your head on a swivel, if you're in the woods, keep your head on a swivel. There's bears out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and on top of that, I've spent a lot of time at summer camps, uh, both going to them as a kid, and then my family is involved with with the Elks Lodge that has a summer camp in Minnesota. We go camping there after the... After the season is over, we get some last-minute camping in out there. I spend a lot of time at summer camps. Maybe it's because I watch all these horror movies, but I'm constantly afraid of something in those camps, just on the lookout. I grew up walking around in the woods with my friends. We had a place we'd go camping all the time, and we'd go out in the woods all the time. I kept my head on a swivel. We got chased by a bear one time. I, really? This is real shit. Well, did you? were you aware of the bears? I mean, I, we knew there's bears in the woods, but we ran into it in the middle of the cornfield. Uh, not in exactly in the woods. And oh. luckily we were in a golf cart and we just got the fuck out of well, there. Well, you, you heated Paul's advice. Congratulations. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we followed rule 11, get out. <laughs> get out! So Terry's dog, Muffin, runs into Jason. And this is not going to end well. well. We'll talk about this a little bit later. Yeah. Poor uh, dog. Poor, poor puppy. Puppy broke zero rules, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> then we see Ginny using a chainsaw to chop firewood. She, she chops one one log. Yeah. Not even a whole thing, just one part of it, and then gives it to Ted for their fire. Just one? I mean, couldn't yeah. you just cut some more just to have them? For, I don't know. Seriously. It, it seems, and if you're just going to do one, just use an axe. Yeah. I don't know. This whole scene is just to show that Jenny knows how to use a chainsaw, which and pays off later. where it's stored. Exactly. Because Jason watches her put the chainsaw away. Yep. Terry goes out to look for her dog, nearly runs into Jason, but gets called back like, their lunch is ready, so she goes to eat. Uh, everyone goes swimming, but Sandra wants to go see Camp Blood. And she's like, Jeff, come on. And he's like, ugh. See, he protests, and then she just drags him away, and he doesn't physically try to stop it at all. Yeah, it's a classic boyfriend maneuver. Seriously. Yeah. Jason is following Jeff and Sandra into Camp Blood, and they should have seen him. So many they, times. They should have. They, multiple times, much like Jenny did earlier, make eye contact with the implied POV. I think they're the ones who, at one point, walk within breathing distance of him, like, they would have seen him out of the peripherals at the very, very absolute least. Yep. This is terrible. Constant vigilance, guys. Just look Seriously. Up, move your head slightly. And by this point, you're in Camp Blood. And you clearly think something is true about this superstition if you're that curious to see it, so... Which brings me to rule number four, don't be a menace. Yeah. And part of this rule is going into places you shouldn't be. So if you're trespassing in a place, the problem with doing that is you can't exactly call for help. Because if you do, you can get in trouble. Exactly. You, and you can also run into unsavory types who are hanging out in places they shouldn't be. So don't trespass. They'll the, put you in a position where you're in danger. The beautiful part about this no trespassing rule is that these two actively step on a keep out sign yep. on their way to get in. It's held up by barbed wire, and they just put their feet down on it to get over. It's hilarious. The rules are bleeding into the movie, and they are ignoring the signs. <laughs> 
They deserve what they get. They easily could have gotten killed by Jason here, but luckily for them, Deputy Winslow shows up, and he basically takes them back to camp. He's like, you can't be here. And he brings them in to see Paul, and he's like, hey, next time I see anybody over there, I'm actually going to arrest them. So, stop. Winslow thinks Paul's being too hard off on these campers, and Paul's like, well, you know what? I'll take away their second desserts tonight. You know, I actually really like Paul here. I mean, he's an authority figure, but he clearly knows that he can't be too hard on these kids for just getting a little curious. Yeah. Winslow, mind your own business. Exactly. I mean, I get that it's his post to keep people out of the condemned Camp Crystal Lake, but Paul clearly doesn't believe in any of this superstition. As far as he's concerned, they're in no real danger. They're just curious kids who've now been scared by a deputy. No further punishment needed. I mean, he's going to not let them go into drinking in town. That is true, but I think that's more because he just wanted their truck. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's probably true. Jeff and Sandra, though, they don't tell anybody because what... Oh, I forgot to mention, I'll throw this in. Jeff and Sandra find a dead dog out at Camp Newport. Yeah, well, it's implied it's a dog, but Jeff explicitly says it's too mauled to tell. uh, But it definitely looks like the dog. Yeah, it's, it's Muffin. Yeah. So Muffin wandered off and got killed by Jason. Rip. Nothing you can say about Muffin here. It's just dog sniffing, you know, bad shit happens. She, she wanted pets from the kind of creepy looking guy in the woods and it didn't end well for her. Humans are not typically going to go eating dogs, so no. there's no reason for Muffin to be afraid of this. No, Muffin broke zero rules. Yep, yeah, just maybe stay with Terry, you know, don't go off on your own, so don't split up from the gang. Yeah, rule 19, don't split up, gang. <laughs> uh, stay with the group, Muffin. Let's split up and look for clues. But yeah, that's the end of Muffin. But Jeff and Sandra... They don't tell anybody about what they found there. No. It's like, if you find a, an animal mauled, you should at least tell Paul. Like, yeah. know, we found maybe a dog or something over there just, like, Well, and especially apart. since I don't think wild dogs live in this part of America. Yeah, this takes place in New Jersey, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Tell Paul. Just when you see something weird, see something, say something. Yeah. So on his way back into town, Deputy Winslow sees Jason running into the woods. So he sees a suspicious Yeah, he, he sees a person running into the woods. He doesn't see the deformed face yeah. or anything. He just sees a person running in. He assumes it's somebody heading over to Camp Blood, yep. Crystal Lake. And so he follows. Granted, he's doing his job here. He's going to stop people from trespassing. Great. Before you do that, follow uh, rule number 12, wait for backup. and Not necessarily waiting for backup, but at least call it in. I guess. I mean, this is where you and I are going to disagree because he has no reason to suspect that this is anything other than another jackass teenager. So he doesn't, at this point, he does not think he needs backup. There's a point that we're getting to where he should call for backup. Sure. But right here, I think he's fine. I think he should at least let dispatch know what he's doing. Like, hey, I got another kid running into That I can agree with. He should have called into dispatch. Hey, I've got a... Another kid trespassing on the lake. Yeah. Something like that. So Very when, common. We no, listen to police scanners all the time. Yeah. So when nobody hears you, when nobody uh, hears back from you, they'll come looking. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. And this is just, this is very simple. Just tell people where you're going, especially yep. in the wilderness. So Winslow gives chase. Really kind of cool scene. You don't really see which person very often you're following. You have to kind of pay attention to the color of their clothes to see yep. who you're following at this part specific part it's not incredibly shot but i kind of like it yeah yeah I, I like the look of some of these like running through the woods scenes. yeah finally arrives at a shack in the middle of the woods and this should be a red flag Th- this is where he should be calling for backup because he's clearly never seen it and it's it's a ramshackled slapped together with stray pieces of wood and metal the best case scenario is that a transient or a homeless drug addicted person is living in there and they could get violent they could so this is where he should be calling for backup this is where winslow fucks up 
it's not necessarily known you're in a horror movie, but in this case, but this could be a horror movie. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I guess I don't think he would have any reason to believe this puts him in a horror movie, but this is definitely reason enough to at least radio in that he's found a makeshift structure that he that someone could be living in. He could be in an action thriller. Exactly. And you can die in action thrillers. You can. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> just at the very least, draw your weapon. Yes. And I would wait for backup before I go in this place. There's no way in oh, hell. Oh, for sure. If I'm a cop, I'm waiting for backup. If I'm not a cop, I'm not going in. Absolutely not. Very least, try your weapon. Maybe get some backup out there. Not great. But Winslow enters the shack, and he starts searching it. And he gets into the back room, and we don't see what he sees, but he, he's like... <gasps> I think, it's, I think it's, it's definitely implied that he sees the shrine to Mrs. Voorhees yeah. that Jason has built. Yeah. Um, and probably Alice's body. Yeah. That was there earlier as well. Yeah. Um, so that's what he sees. The audience does not see it at this point. That's a pretty shocking thing to see. Definitely. And that's at that point, you know you're in a horror movie. Rule one. D- doesn't really matter, though. Because he was not paying attention. Rule number two, constant vigilance. Jason sneaks up on him and hits him in the head with the claw end of a hammer. Yep. It's a brutal scene to watch. Yeah. I physically cringed when we just rewatched it. It's a good kill. It is. It's very, a very good kill. It's satisfying and like the noise. It's good. It's good yeah. sound. Very well done. For Deputy Winslow, he failed to recognize he was in a horror movie or an action thriller or anything. He just yep. he needed to be a little more cautious. For sure. He wasn't paying enough attention. There was a point he needed to call in for backup. He needed to have his weapon ready. I think, in general, his biggest failing here is constant vigilance. Yeah. I think it's implied that this is kind of Winslow's beat in this small town is keeping people off the campgrounds. Sure. And I think, honestly, until people started coming in, he, he was just bored. Yeah. Because he doesn't seem to think anything of people trespassing on these grounds so i think he started to take his job not very seriously yeah uh maybe i'm reading too much into this movie but that's that's the end of winslow this definitely could be the case you know you can't get complacent in these kind of jobs exactly that's when you lower your guard you're done and that's that's exactly what serves to be his failing here yep so paul decides to take a group into town because it's their they had a fun day but they're gonna they're gonna hit the the workload hard the next day this is their last their last night of uh debauchery before they actually try hard at their training yep so Paul's going to take a group into town. Anybody wants to go, but Jeff and Sandra have to stay behind. Which I think is, it's it's not really a punishment here. He says it is, but I think it's more of an excuse, A, to get their vehicle with two extra seats, yep. but B, to make sure there's somebody at the camp. Yeah, and, and they do deserve, like, yeah, I told you not to go to the camp. You don't yeah. get to go on this. You you know you own it's, this. Yeah. It, it's fair. Vicky and Scott and Mark and Terry all decide they don't want to go either. Yeah. The four campers who have names. so they so they end up staying at camp while everyone else drives off in what is said to be the only two cars they have even though they show a third later yeah vicky also has a car here but yeah paul Ginny, and ted lead a whole group into town all the supervisors go yep to get drunk love it terry decides to go for a walk jason is outside watching all of this he is none of these people know they're in a horror movie yet it's hilarious yeah this is this might be one of the longest instances of people not knowing they're in a horror movie. That would be like an interesting, like, when it, how long does it take for the protagonist to realize they're in a horror movie? We should start keeping track of I that. Should, yeah, that's a, good, <laughs> that's a good one. So Terry goes down to the lake to look for Muffin, but instead decides to go skinny dipping instead. In a very gratuitous uh, stripping scene yeah. from her. For some reason. I couldn't tell you why. Like, because go find your dog. The movies are geared towards teenagers, and yeah. what do teenagers like more than gore and boobs? You gotta put boobs in the movie. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Paul's group gets to a bar and they go in to start drinking. Mark and Jeff are arm wrestling, but Sandra's like, hey, 
let's go wrestle upstairs instead. <laughs> sure. The thirst is real with this young woman. And Both Sandra and Vicky. Seriously. You know, they're the ones who are really, like, hitting on people. It's not the guys so much. It's, well, it's... And, you know, I'll give them credit for being uh, for knowing what they want in this not very sex-positive age of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's different. A little role reversal. I like it. Yeah. So Jeff A. and Sandra, they go upstairs. Uh, Vicky uh, challenges Mark to a game of, like, electronic hockey. Yeah, yeah. Ted has these electronic games that he was kind of seen playing earlier. They don't explain what they are. They just see him toying around with them. And he has like, electronic football and electronic hockey. And then, in a strangely flirtatious way, Vicky says she wants to play the one with the puck. I don't know what that means. I think she she was clearly trying to insinuate the word fuck, but it's it's weird. I would have gone with, like, play with the stick. Yeah. That's way better. Yeah. The hockey stick. Yeah, that, that works so much more. But they, Vicky wants to play for position. <laughs> it's implied to be sexual. This poor girl. <laughs> She's trying. She's trying. She's yeah. trying very hard, and I, I can't fault her for that. God love her. So Scott, this prankster Scott, who we haven't seen much of, thank God, steals Terry's clothing. Rule number four. Don't be a menace. Don't do this. This is this is not cool. This kid is nothing but a menace, honestly. Like Ted's a prankster. This dude's just a, just being a jackass to people. He is a sexual predator in the making. Actually, too. Yeah. Like this is not cool. Don't do this. If you're gonna pull a prank, a successful prank is where every single person involved is laughing. Yep. Not cool. Terry's not laughing. No. Good prank. Having your friend's car towed a few blocks to your house and laughing about it. <laughs> not good prank. Annoying this girl. Harassing, harassing her, frankly, uh, sexually, yep, this is sexual and then harassment. stealing her clothes when she's skinny dipping, so she has to run after you while naked. Don't sexually harass people. No, that's that's what we're learning here, Scott. So he he's giving them back like one piece at a time as he like runs away, but he eventually steps into a rope trap and is dangling in the woods. And this is a failing on both of their parts. I think this is where both of them should know that they're. Maybe not not necessarily in a horror movie, but something's afoot. They're yeah. both way too calm about a rope snare being in these woods. I, I, they assume that Ted put the trap there. I mean, I guess maybe they know Ted better than we do. I guess. I don't know. Everything we've seen about Ted so far implies harmless prankster. So I guess m- my reading, if if Ted was doing this... He would have done it at a time where he was there, sure. where he could actually be in on the joke and laughing. Ted's yeah. not the type who just sets up the jokes yep. and leaves them be. He wants to see the payoff. At least that's what we see in the movie, which is all we have to go on. Yeah, it's all we have to go on. Yeah, I'd be a little bit more concerned about this. Yeah, maybe, no, they, they are both way too calm about this. You know, maybe if they threw in another scene into the movie establishing, like, hey, I set up the lessons for tomorrow with a yeah. little trap or something. That could be good. Know. They, they could have done that, but as far as we know, like, why the hell is this trap here? This is yeah. weird. They decide, you know, they're, they're pretty calm about it. Scott Begg is like, hey, please cut me down, and I'll, I'll stop. I promise I'll stop. Well, and that's the thing, too. Uh, props to Terry for uh, making, ta- leveraging the position, like, yep. stop. Yep. Just fucking stop. And I will cut you down. Yeah. I promise. Yeah, yeah, you, you have the advantage. Use it. Exactly. <laughs> Terry gets her shirt back, and she goes to go get a knife. Jason cuts Scott's throat. In a very... Very interesting kill, because it's the first one where Jason hasn't had to try and hide. Like, his prey's not going anywhere here, so he's able to just calmly walk up and slice the throat. Yep. And it's it's a good kill. So, Scott, he never had the chance to realize he was in a horror movie besides being caught yeah, in a rope disag- trap? Yeah, I'm going to disagree there. I think the second he's in a rope trap, he should know something's afoot. Okay, I mean, yeah, yeah, let, let, let's assume, yeah. Fuck, why is this here? We, we have to go off of what we know from the movie, and nowhere in the movie did they specify. Sure. I've set out these traps for 
an a obstacle course or I'm going to set this up. Maybe someone will get caught in it. It'll be really funny. Nothing sure. like that. So you got to be like, why is this here? Something's off. Something's wrong. Something's off. Yep. But even if he did realize, he couldn't do anything about it. Exactly. He was a menace, uh, yeah. and that's what put him in this position. If he would have just left Harry alone, he would have never been in the woods and gotten snagged in that rope trap. Maybe politely engage her in conversation. Get to know her a little better. Exactly. Don't be stealing clothing. The entire movie, he's either harassing her or he's trying way too hard to hit on her. Yep. Never once does he treat her like a person. Yep. Don't be an asshole. So don't be a menace. And he gets his throat cut for this. Exactly. I'm not sad about it. So Terry finds a pocket knife. Very small. It's it's almost like a Swiss Army knife too. Yeah. That's that kind of surprised me. Like this little thing is gonna cut through that kind of thick rope. It's gonna take a while. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it's all they have. Yeah, I guess. She returns to find Scott dead. Guess what, Terry? You're in a horror movie. Yeah. She seems to know it. Immediately screams and runs off. And then we don't see her again until we find her dead body. Yeah. So Terry dies here, but we don't know how. We have no information to go on. Exactly. So she, A, at least she realized she's in a horror movie, but we have no way to know what else she did. So no. we can't really talk anymore about Terry. But she's, not really. She's dead. We'll find her body later. Kind of a, just an inconsequential character, yeah, frankly. Really not that big of a deal. No. Uh. She, she exists for that kind of gratuitous scene and to give Scott someone to harass. Yep. Could have at least got a cool kill out of her, but nope. Kind of a, kind of a shame. Yeah. So Ginny, Ted, and Paul are drinking. Ginny suggests Jason might be real and talks about kind of his mental state, like what his psychology is like, a little bit of that child it's, psychology. It's, a kind, it's, a, it's kind of good. It's a, it, this is a better scene for explaining her background than just the exposition sure. script of put some of that child psychology to use. That's, <laughs> this is way better. I, this is just better writing from a technical standpoint. This is pretty good writing. Ginny's definitely been drinking. Yeah. And so she, you know, Paul mentions like, I think you're drunk. And because she's like, well, I'm, I'm serious. What if he's out there? He's like a little kid and he saw his mom get decapitated. Like, that's horrible. Well, and, and we'll see the payoff both in this movie and in future movies. But she specifically calls out what if he's a little kid trapped in a grown man's body, which is exactly what the first Jason trilogy yeah. is Jason uh, before, b- yeah. before he gets resurrected. Yeah, that's that's just, that is absolutely accurate. So Ginny is right. I don't know how she got here. You know, alcohol led her to this, but good for her. And the mind wanders when you're a little drunk. (laughs) So Jason is watching Jeff, Sandra, Mark, and Vicky. We get a little bit more backstory on Mark, and he was in a motorcycle accident. Uh, His legs don't work. It's implied his dick does, though. So it's more of explicitly said, honestly, (laughs) because Vicky Vicky specifically asks if anything else down there doesn't work, and he just says he gets he does well enough, or he gets by, something like that. Yeah. Don't exactly know what that means, but, you know, interpret it how you will. Jeff's in bed with Sandra. Vicky and Mark are kissing. Vicky leaves to get some things. Yo, Vicky, just go. What, what do you need? Just go to bed. Well, she, we, I mean, we see it later. Or not later, but immediately after. She's going to, like, sex herself up. She I puts guess. on matching underwear, puts on perfume, which beware of bears, Vicky. Yeah, they don't put perfume on. Paul warned you about perfume. Exactly. And then she she puts on a different sweater and different pants. That's a bit useless, but yeah. uh, whatever. Uh, I guess it, it was raining. Maybe she wanted is, dry clothes. This would have been a great opportunity for a random bear to show up and just kill Vicky. Honest to God, I was the first time I watched this movie, I was expecting a bear. Jason just stands like, oh, okay, well, I don't have to... Don't have to <laughs> to do with that anymore i would be totally on board for that <laughs> uh 
so Jason watches Vicky changing clothes. She goes outside, stops her shutter from bashing, and then she needs to go out to her car for something. Yeah. A hairbrush, hairbrush. Yep, yep, that's what it was. And this scene is just so she can lock her car doors, because that'll be important later. Yep. It starts to rain, thunderstorms coming in. Mark is in the main cabin waiting for Vicky, and he goes outside on the porch to, like, call out her name. Yeah, he's... He, he, like, thinks he heard her. They don't really do a good job showing what he heard, but he hears something, which we, of course, know is Jason, and goes out there expecting it to be Vicky. I kind of wish we would have heard what he heard there, because yeah. it's kind of, we hear a crack of thunder, and then him say, like, Vicky, is that you? Something like that, and yeah. it's, it's kind of dumb. Yeah, it is kind of dumb. But Jason manages to sneak up on Mark and put a machete in his fucking face. This is the best kill of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, he rolls backwards down the, the stairs in his wheelchair and just goes flying down this hill. It's so <laughs> funny. I love this. It's my favorite kill in, in the movie and one of the best of the series. Absolutely. Mark didn't even know he was in a horror movie. No, Mark had zero inclination that anything could have possibly been wrong, minus that campfire story, which was very clearly yeah. a, a bit. Yep. I got nothing to say for Mark. He did nothing wrong. He just bad luck, really. Bad luck. You know, it's too bad he's in a wheelchair. You might have had a fighting chance if he was on his two feet, maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, they show they spend the entire movie showing how strong he is. He's strong if he was, as hell. Even in the wheelchair, I think he would have put up a good fight against Jason. I yep. think it would have been cool if he would have noticed Jason and, like, we see Jason trying to bring the machete down and Mark just grabs his arms and Jason can't move. <laughs> we should have made this movie. We should have. That would have been cooler and if... It would have been a good chance to show how Jason can power through, yeah. kind of bring some of the unstoppable force in early. Sure. You know. I like this. It, just, it would have been cool. To It would have made a cool kill even cooler. Hell yeah. But I like what we got. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Jeff and Sandra have sex. Uh, Jason enters the cabin, goes upstairs. On the way, he grabs the spear that Ted used in his prank earlier. Yep. And as he enters the room, Sandra sees him. You're in a horror movie, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> Which she has all of a second and a half to react to before they get impaled. She could have done nothing. No. Jason shoves the spear through both of them at the same time. Very cool kill. Yeah. Rip. They're both dead. Nothing they could have done. No. Jeff had no idea he was in a horror movie, and Sandra knew for one second. Yeah. But they, they were both menaces earlier. Yeah. Uh, so they've... While them breaking rules didn't uh, lead directly to their deaths, they, they certainly are not innocent here. Yes, and they would have died earlier if Deputy Winslow hadn't intervened. By That's it. also very true. So, you know, they just postponed the inevitable. Yep. So, Paul and Ginny decided to leave the bar. I think Paul only had one beer, so no yeah. drunk driving here. Yep, nope, very responsible. Uh, th- that's definitely shown of Paul. He's the responsible one. Ted stays behind, and we don't see him again. Yeah, we, we see him flirting with a bartender at the in the first scene we get at the bar. Yep. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier. I, I like to think he just went home with her and had... He went back to the camp to find it abandoned and his friend's dead, and he just moved on, I hope, at least. I would love a Friday sequel where some of these surviving characters like Ted and some of these protagonists come back. I think that'd be pretty cool. They would be very cool. So we go back. Vicky enters the main cabin. Can't find Mark. She goes upstairs and finds what appears to be Sandra and Jeff in bed under the covers, but they're not responding to her. No. And she's like, Sandra? Sandra? And Jason is revealed to be under the bed. He jumps up. This is actually my favorite jump scare in the entire franchise. It's pretty good because I forgot about it. When you think Friday Part 2, most people would know Jason doesn't have his hockey mask here. He has the, the potato sack, pillow cover, whatever. Yep. And it's kind of shown here he wasn't wearing that earlier. He used this specifically to get the drop on Vicky. It's pretty cool. It is. And, I mean, you kind of get it earlier where you get the glimpses of him and he's not wearing anything on his head. So mm-hmm. this iconic look is just born from him trying to be stealthy. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It is. And then it, 
that's followed up by something that's not very cool. No. So we have Sandra and Jeff's body, and we have Jason in the room right in front of her. Vicky, you're in a horror movie. Yep. No excuses anymore, and Vicky just freezes out. She does. She gets uh, She gets next to whose body was it? Jeff's body. Jeff's body uh, that's hung on the wall, almost kind of like Halloween, actually. Kinda cool. It is, uh, but... Then we get a POV of Jason getting out of the bed and taking 10 to 15 seconds to even approach her. With a knife. With a, with a knife, and she does nothing. Literally nothing. She she is next to the door. She anything. could have gotten out. She could have run. She could have kicked Jason in the nuts. She could have done anything. Literally, she did the worst she could possibly do. Exactly. She completely freezes and gets stabbed to death. She deserved to die. She deserved it. Uh, she is in the running for the Night of the Living Club Award. <laughs> She's terrible. And she seemed like a nice girl. But she's not good in this movie. <sighs> nope, not at all. Uh, Actually, uh, because she locked the door to her car, uh, she she causes more problems yeah, she than didn't. she fixed in the movie. Now, I'm not going to hold that against her. I lock my car everywhere I go. Well, so do I. But, I mean, just the fact that she did nothing of value and except lock her car means she only caused problems. She only caused problems. Paul and Ginny return to camp. Lights are all on and no one's around. So they're both immediately concerned. This is kind of weird. Yep. And this is good. You know, they, they, they notice that something's a little bit off. Maybe it's just a prank. Yep. Good thing to be on your guard for against pranks. It could mean a psycho killer's in the cat. Mm-hmm. You don't really know. Uh, no one's around. They, they're both concerned. Vicky turns out was smoking dope earlier, I guess. Yeah. So this is like, hey, do drugs and time. Yeah, we, we do see her light up and offer it to uh, Mark. Mark, but then nothing comes of it. Maybe she was so high she couldn't run away. <laughs> I, I guess. Maybe, maybe it hit exactly when she was cornered. Yeah, when, when the drugs <laughs> kick in or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Well, Paul I'm, make, I'm trying. Well, Paul makes a comment about how they smoke better dope than he does, and it's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> it's pretty good. They go upstairs and find the bloody bed. This is concerning. This is where they should know they're in a horror movie. Yes. They almost play it off like it's just another prank. But here's the thing. The prankster was at the bar with you all night. I mean, I suppose there's Scott. Maybe it's, this is his doing. I guess. I feel like Paul was... I think they were both internally freaking out, but they were both just trying to stay calm for the other one. I could see that. That, That's my best guess, because these two seem pretty rational. Well, regardless, from this point forward, both should know they are in a horror movie. Rule number one, know you're in a horror movie. So they go back downstairs, and this might be my favorite scene of the movie, at least at the beginning. Because they're in this kind of dark room, and Ginny knows there's somebody else in the room with them. And we don't see anybody yet, but Ginny says, Paul, there's somebody else in the room with us. And that's, like, terrifying. And good for Ginny for noticing. Somehow she notices somebody else is in the room. And then Jason appears from the darkness and attacks Paul. It's pretty cool. Very cool scene. And we don't actually see what happens to Paul here. Yeah, we get a big fight. Paul's confusing. Paul is a confusing character because we don't know what ends up happening to him. He could have died here. We, we see him later, but that could have been a hallucination or something. Well, that's the thing. The, the lines kind of get blurred towards the end of the movie. Yeah, the lines of reality get, get blurred. But we the, the fight happens off screen. So, I guess on Paul, you know, maybe have your head on a swivel a little bit more. Yep. That's all we can really say about him here. Right. If he died here, that's all we got for him. Yeah. Ginny does nothing here, which is not a great look for her. She freezes up a little bit. Yep. She's just what we criticized Vicky for. But eventually, Ginny does run for it, and she hides and locks herself in a bathroom. A- indeed. And actually, this... So, Ginny starts freezing up, but then immediately goes into making a ton of good decisions. Yep. She gets into the kitchen and... And she immediately grabs a knife. Yeah. Yeah. So first she goes in the bathroom. Yep. Holds the door shut. She's going to go out the window, but Jason throws an axe through the window. That's right. Then she goes over to the kitchen and immediately grabs a knife. She's trying to figure out what to do. She's like, going to go out the window. But she's like, "Uh uh-oh, Jason might be out there. But then Jason starts coming through the door and, like, starts beating the door down with a pitchfork. 
Yeah, this is this I think is kind of a fault for Jenny. She should have gotten out that window the second the door started to try yep. and be opened. Yep. So there's a little hesitation there, but she finds Ralph's body. But it's good that she locked and loaded. Yep, absolutely. So she gets the fuck out. Rule number 11, get out. Jenny follows this rule and she gets the hell out of this building. Uh, it's like you were saying during the movie, you know, we talk about uh, abandoning your shelter. And that you typically shouldn't do it unless you don't have another choice. Ginny's at the point where she doesn't have another exactly. choice. Exactly. She's literally cornered with the killer the door in, being, w- in one of two ways out of this room. The, the door is being broken down. Yep. It's time to go. And she makes a good move. She runs out to her car. Yep. And she actually gets in immediately. Yep. So good good decision on her part there. But because it was established earlier, which I appreciate that her car is a piece of crap, yep. does not start. No, but she did try and at least put herself in a shelter. So she tried. bravo there. Jason appears, and he starts putting his pitchfork to the roof, which is pretty cool. Very cool scene. Um, then he gets down, he's at the passenger drawer, and Ginny just kicks the door open and right into Jason, which is great. Knocks yep. him over. And I think it's at this point that she drops her knife. They yep. don't actually show it happen, but I think we just right here. The knife is no longer her hand. Exactly. Yet. So, well, maybe she left her in her car. Who knows? Right. Hold on to your weapons. That is rule number seven. Don't leave your weapon behind. Yep. And Ginny's going to violate this one a couple of times, which is unfortunate. This is great. This might be Ginny's one of her strongest moments because she hides behind a bush waits for Jason to catch up to her and then appears kicks him right in the nuts the nut shot it's beautiful rule number 20 fight dirty (laughs) there is no honor when you're fighting for your life screw honor honor I don't believe in honor it's a bullshit concept kick in the nuts go for the nuts go for the eyes go for whatever do whatever you have to do and Ginny does that great for you Ginny absolutely she runs over to Vicky's car it's locked so, she takes off into the woods. Yep. Jason somehow catches up to her and attacks her. Ginny dodges, hides behind a tree, and doubles back. All of this is good stuff. And we have this really kind of long, kind of cool shot, like, chase sequence through the woods. Eventually, Jason ends up back at Ginny's cabin. And Ginny is inside hiding under the bed. And a rat crawls by, and Ginny pisses her pants. Which, I guess, Jason smells it, or I guess. sees it, or hears it, yeah. or something. This would go under Don't Give Away Your Position, which is rule number 26. Yeah. It's a little hard to do. I don't think you can necessarily control when you're like you're pissing your pants. Yeah, I mean, there's a killer right there. Um, it's definitely shown that she's not a fan of rats when it crawls right by her and she looks a little freaked out. Uh, yeah. So, uh, like, I'm not going to hold this one against her because no. nobody pisses their pants on purpose. Exactly. Um, so, but, you know, technically she gives away her position. A lot of luck here, too, though, because when she gets out of under the bed, Jason's standing on a stool that... As soon as she's out, it breaks. Yeah, this is some high praise for Jason because he... This is arguably the most clever thing Jason ever does. Yeah. Because he opens the door and closes it and hides on the chair nearby, making her think he left. She crawls out. Boom, there he is. Mm-hmm. Chair breaks and Ginny dodges. Which is wall. just bad luck. That's nothing Jason could have done there. No. Nope. Uh, this is That's actually part of what makes this my favorite movie is this is the smartest Jason. Sure. Absolutely. Great move on Jason's part. Bad luck. I love this, though. This is this is pretty cool. Ginny ends up uh, escaping and grabs a chainsaw. Yep. And hits Jason with it, and then hits him with a chair, stunning him, and then she leaves the chainsaw behind and runs away. He does not double tap here. Yep. Jason is implied to be not unconscious, but definitely stunned sure. on the ground. Would have been a perfect time to grab that chainsaw and just Cut end it right off. there. Cut his head off. It's a, little, it's a little brutal, but hey, what can you do? He's been killing everyone. Yeah, you definitely got to double tap. You definitely don't want to leave this guy behind. You know, running into the woods, that's fine-ish, because that's a good way to escape. You're just in the woods. Right. But somehow Jason's an amazing tracker and just find you. <laughs> yeah, Ginny ends up finding a, a sh- the shack, Jason's shack. Yep. And sees that Jason's, like, right behind her. So she gets inside the, the second room, barricades herself inside, 
and realizes, oh shit, here's Mrs. Voorhees' head. Here's Annie and Terry and Deputy Winslow's corpses. Yep. Slittered all over the place. You're definitely in a horror movie. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> if, if for some reason she still didn't think she was, this is like the final point where she has to realize it. <laughs> now, this is awesome. This is why I like Ginny. Because she uses her child psychology. She puts on Mrs. Voorhees' sweater and pretends to be Jason's mother. I love this scene because you see the gears turning in her head. While Jason is breaking down the door, she is able to stay calm deduce that not only is this that child Jason, but that's his mom, who's the only person who knew him, mm-hmm. and she's gonna pretend to be her. She puts the pieces together and finds a way to at least temporarily stop Jason. And it works. It works. Because Jace- she convinces Jason to like lower his weapon, get down on his knees, be a good boy. The only thing she does wrong here is she moves just out of the way enough for Jason to see his mother's head, yep. which again leads to this being the smartest Jason, he know, knows immediately right then and there that this is a trick. This isn't mom. Uh, and she's a little slow on the draw with uh, putting her machete into Jason's skull. You know, despite the fact that he's a killer, I'm not going to hold that against her. Because it's, I mean, I couldn't kill someone. Uh. Like, given that type of position, even if they are a killer, unless it's like an adrenaline-filled fight-or-flight situation, I don't know if I'd be able to do it either. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I guess you don't really know until you're in that position. Exactly. Jason knocks Ginny over and like slashes her leg. Paul arrives, and this is weird. We I don't know if th- we don't know if this is real or not. Based on the way that this room looks at the end of the movie, I think this is real. Okay, so Paul's. We'll, we'll go with it. We'll just assume. We'll just keep assuming Paul's alive, and then yep. we'll talk about what happens if he dies here. So they have a fight. Ginny gets her machete back, and just before Paul gets killed, Jason uh, is chopped in the shoulder by Ginny. Jason collapses. Double tap. Come on, double tap. Double tap. They spend the time to take his mask off, but don't spend the time to make sure he's dead. Yeah. You gotta double tap. This is the same problem Alice had in the first movie. And I bet new Alice, had she lived and Alice the protagonist of this movie, she would have double tapped instantly. Without a doubt. She saw that the Mrs. Voorhees getting decapitated in the first movie was effective. So mm-hmm. I think she would have done that here. So Paul carries Ginny back to camp. There's a noise at the door. And this I like, because they, they prepare their defenses. They're ready. Ginny grabs a pitchfork. Paul has the, the shovel Yeah, handle. It's, it's the handle. So when Jason fell off the stool, the pitchfork broke. Oh, okay. And so Ginny has the po- the fork end, and Paul has the handle, ready to just use it as a bludgeoning weapon. So they're both ready for what is ever at this door. So I like this. They have their defenses ready to go. And if they're coming in, you might as well lead them into the entrance you want them to enter through. Exactly. So, yeah, bait them in. And they open it, and it's Muffin the dog. Yeah. But we clearly saw Muffin was dead earlier, and this is kind of revealed to be a dream sequence, this this last scene. So, no. <laughs> Jason ends up jumping through the window and grabbing Ginny. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really cool slow motion scene where you get a really nice look at the makeup and prosthetics mm-hmm. they put on the face to make him look all deformed. Yeah, it's it, awesome. It's the only shot you see of him full body without the mask. Yeah. And... It is so cool. It's really cool. This is a good Jason. But this was a dream. And so the final scene, really, of the movie, Ginny is on a uh, is being carried into an ambulance by a bunch of paramedics, and she's asking, where's Paul? And she's carried away. Yep. No one even pretends to try and answer her. We have no idea if Paul's alive or not. It's who knows. I think he's alive. I think he's alive because him coming back at the cabin... Makes sense. I don't know where he would have died along that way. Right. Because the last scene in her cabin was a dream. Yep. 
So the only other place it would, I mean, Paul, if Paul's dead, the only place he really could have died is that first attack with Jason. But right. him coming back makes that not make sense. Well, and then the end here is after the ambulance pulls away with Ginny's body in it, we cut back to the shrine room. Yep. And it's got the damage from the fight with Paul. Yeah. Which is why I think that's real, because it didn't look like that at any other point except after they fought Jason. That's a really good point. So, yeah, you know what? You heard it here first, folks. Paul's alive. He's got to be. It's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. So Paul's alive. Well, we're going to say Paul and Ginny both survive. It's it's an unknown what happens between that fight and Ginny waking up with paramedics. Yeah. But that's definitely real, given that we actively see that shrine room. Uh, yep. Okay. And that is Friday the 13th Part 2. Yeah. Okay. So this is a first for How to Survive a Horror Movie, where we have no new rules to add to the master list. None. It's kind of, uh, like I said, this isn't a very plot-heavy movie. It's just kind of exists yeah i mean most of the characters never realize they're in a horror movie exactly they just they just get ambushed by the apex predator that is jason Voorhees. and everything every decision that is made really was already done in the first movie right so yeah no new rules here so let's move on to the awards we have two awards to give out here the first is the randy meeks merit badge which goes to the character who did the best job at following the rules in the movie and they don't necessarily have to survive the movie because sometimes bad luck happens. There's nothing you can do about it. But this is the person who does the best job at following the rules. And this is, of course, named after Randy from Scream. Even though he never won the award, he did have his own set of rules. And he was part of the inspiration of this podcast. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. So I think this we have two people to talk about here. And that is, first is Ginny, our protagonist. Yep. So let's let's talk about yeah. Ginny quick. I mean, like like we've mentioned, she makes a lot of good decisions. Mm-hmm. She locks and loads right away. She recognizes pretty quickly when the opportunity is presented that she's in a horror movie. And she spends the entire time doing everything she can to put barriers between her and Jason. Yes. However, she keeps dropping her weapons. And she keeps not double tapping. Yes. Which is exactly what Alice did in the first movie. Very similar. Ginny is better than Alice was in her first movie but there's a lot of a few mistakes it's the same mistakes over and over by Jenny like the same ones and it's frustrating because you could have finished this much earlier so because of that I think Alice wins yes the other person we got to talk about is Alice because she plays a perfect game and just gets bad locked out the, of the interesting part is because it's a bunch of flashbacks we do see her make a ton of mistakes mm-hmm. but they happened in the first movie yep so we can't none count of them. that they do, it doesn't count we see her making mistakes but it's all in flashback. Yep. So she plays a perfect round here. She is ready for this horror movie, and nobody else could have been. Nobody who hasn't survived one of these could have been ready as, as ready as she was. Exactly. For someone who survived what she went through, she did everything I would have expected, and then probably even a little more. Yeah, absolutely. I would say she above and beyond the Call of Duty here. Without a doubt. And it's only because this cat came in and basically ruined her defenses, and it's like, oh, no, it was just a cat. PSD, oh no, okay, I'm probably just having a, a, like an episode or something, and then Jason sees his thing is, too, though, Jason was already in the house by yeah. that point. Cat or no cat, I think she would have died yeah. eventually. She would have gone to sleep, and Jason is shown to be very patient in this movie. Yes, but she had weapons, she was ready to go, she knew she was in a horror movie, and it's just bad luck that she goes down the way she exactly. does. Exactly. So, this is interesting, because Alice is actually the first person ever to win the Randy Meeks Barrett Badge twice. There you go. Her first time winning is probably my least favorite merit badge. I think she, she was, <laughs> her first time was the least deserving merit badge ever. 
And it's kind of a bummer that she's the only person so far to have it twice. But the second time, I think she absolutely deserves it. And that's the thing, is this one is earned. This earned. isn't much like her first one, where it was just process of elimination. By default. So good for Alice. That brings us to the Night of the Living Pleb Award, which is based off of Barbara from Night of the Living Dead, the most worthless character to ever grace horror movies. She is awful. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. And this goes to the character that is the most useless and does the worst job at uh, following the rules to survive the movie. This has to go to Vicky. There's really no argument here. When we started rewatching it, I forgot how much Vicky just freezes up. I was going to say this should go to Crazy Ralph. Yeah, Crazy Ralph is bad and dumb, but Vicky's freezing up and doing absolutely nothing to save herself. When she has ample time ample to time. grab something, to get out, to do yeah. any number of things. Fight, run. Exactly. Anything. She, she literally cannot possibly do worse than what she does. Exactly. So for this egregious breaking of the rules, I say Vicky. I agree with Vicky. I would still like to make sure we have a dishonorable mention for Crazy Ralph. Dishonorable mention to Crazy Ralph. And honorable mention for Ginny. Absolutely. Okay. Jordan, would you like to come back on the podcast? Oh, I don't see why not. <laughs> I got nothing else to do. <laughs> All right, Jordan, is there a movie you would like to reserve for yourself? There is, actually. So I'm a big fan of these uh, early 70s to 90s slasher movies, as you know. But I'm going to reserve one of my favorite modern horror movies, which is Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe. All right, I like it. I'm a fan. It was uh, it was up between this and my other favorite modern horror movie, which is uh, It Follows. Oh. Um, I just think it, Don't Breathe will have a bit better discussion to be had. That's fair, and I thought you were going to say Leprechaun in the Hood. My other favorite <laughs> modern horror film. Uh, Freddy's Dead, sir. Oh, yes, Freddy's Dead. Um, <laughs> yes. And a special note, because... Jordan and I are the only two people in the world who truly appreciate how great the movie Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare is. <laughs> I'm giving him a special reservation for this movie because nobody else deserves to, to analyze it. Much appreciated. <laughs> uh, while I have you here, I, so I, I listen to this podcast, as you know. I tell you at work all the time. Yes. I made note when I was listening to your Nightmare 1 podcast that you mentioned one other person who likes Freddy's Dead. Is that me? Yes. Fantastic. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, that person who was shouted out in the Nightmare on Elm Street podcast is here in our studio today. Uh, yes. The only other person who truly appreciates how amazing that movie is. And we will convince you all how amazing it is when we do a podcast. Oh boy, will we. Oh yes. I've got notes already. Oh yes. <laughs> Alright, so last order of business is we gotta spin the wheel. Alright. So go ahead and give it a spin. Derek's going to be so happy because we're watching <laughs> Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. That's exciting. I love Halloween 3. It's, it's definitely underrated. It's definitely underrated. I am a big fan. I think it's a very good movie. It's the best Halloween movie that doesn't have Michael Myers in it. And it's better than a lot of the ones that do have Michael Myers <laughs> in it. You're not wrong. I'm excited. I'm very interested to see what Derek thinks about it because he wasn't a big fan of the first two. <laughs> uh, he liked two better than one, which is shocking. That is a little shocking. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll be very curious to see what he thinks about this one and to see if he will continue choosing the Halloween movies. <laughs> I so. hope he does. I would love to just keep listening to him slowly stop liking Halloween. <laughs> yeah, slowly go insane. Because <laughs> what's hilarious about Derek is before this podcast, he had seen exactly one Halloween movie. And that was five. And he just happened it's a bad to, choice. The, the second worst choice. And he just happened to watch it with me one day. And that it kind of turned him off to all these movies. And... Just to watch him go along with this and see Halloween Resurrection and see that it gets worse will be very funny. <laughs> I'm excited for that. If he continues, though, 
he he will be in for a pleasant surprise when he watches the newest one. Yes, and and H two O as well. Yep, those will be fun. H two O, and I I think the first Rob Zombie, yep. uh, he will hopefully like. And I think he'll also have a pleasant surprise because I know he's a fan of Paul Rudd. So okay, just watching Halloween Six, I think might be a l- fun for a moment. <laughs> I hope he I hope he goes this entire time without knowing Paul Rudd's in that movie. Yeah, I, I think I might have mentioned him it once, but I, maybe he doesn't remember. Right. So that about does it for us. Jordan, do you have any social media to plug or anything? Um, I mean, I guess I tweet about movies and video games and comic books and other nerd shit all the time. So if you want to follow at uh, guy on Twitter, you sure can. Okay. And you can, again, you can follow us at at HowToHorror. That's the number two. Uh, and that we, we will post the, the podcast there, and then we also post an updated list of the rules every week. But that is everything. My name's Ryan Stacy. This has been the How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast. Stay safe out there. Uh-huh.